Hello and welcome to the Zonal Marking podcast brought to you by The Athletic. It's often said that football is the universal language, but it also has a rich language of its own, a lexicon centuries in the making where words and phrases can take on new meaning in their original language but can also cross borders. In the context of tactics, which is something that we focus on on this podcast, many fans of all native tongues recognise positional roles whose names come from another language. Things like libero, raumdeuter, enganche. But while great players are often immortalised in the history of the beautiful game, not many have had a position or a role named after them. And that's one of the things that makes our topic today worth a closer inspection the makalele role. I'm Ali Maxwell and this is something close to my heart and the hearts of my two guests. Liam Toomey, Chelsea's correspondent for The Athletic. Hello. How are you, Liam? Well? I'm good. Yeah, I'm very good. Um, I'm looking for, I haven't had a chance to talk about makalele in years, so I'm quite looking forward to this. Here we go. And Michael Cox, The Athletic's professor of tactics and their trends. Hi, Ali. Great to have you on the podcast, Michael. Uh, let's get into Claude Makélélé and his role. Liam, Makélélé joined Chelsea at the end of Abramovich's first transfer window. I think he was the 15th player to sign and he was a 30-year-old player signing a four-year contract, but he came from Real Madrid. What do you remember about the general reporting, the general feeling surrounding that signing? I mean, there were plenty to cover that summer. Yeah, I mean, I think the the story was the splurge as a whole and, and, and Abramovich's bid to kind of take over English football. And I think Makaleli wasn't the the headline purchase in a lot of ways, but there was a significant buzz because he'd come from a Real Madrid team that had that had dominated the Champions League. And, and I think the buzz grew, uh, which we'll talk about, when, when the comments from Florentino Perez and, and comments of some of his former Real Madrid teammates... Uh, really came to the fore and filtered through to England that, that this player actually, while he might not be the sexiest name, could be a really transformative presence. And you mentioned arriving at the age of 30 as well. I think there's certain parallels there to Gianfranco Zola actually as well, who also arrives at Chelsea really, you would think, in the twilight of his career, but still has time to become an absolutely transformative presence and a, and a bona fide club legend that, that kind of changes the trajectory of the club forever. Let's look back in time before we look forward, Michael. He joins Chelsea from Real Madrid as an established top-level player and he leaves with his own part in the English football lexicon. But I want to know a bit more about him early on in his career because despite the impact that he had and his role, he wasn't always playing there as a young player. No, he wasn't. He was really starting out as a right-sided midfielder. He broke through at Nantes, who had a fantastic record of developing young players, particularly midfielders, particularly future Champions League defensive uh, midfielders. Marcel Desailly came through there, Didier Deschamps, Christophe Carimbo, and then Makaleli. And um, when you look at his early performances, he was, uh, I wouldn't say a skillful winger, but certainly a... You know, an energetic up and down player reminded me a little bit more in Chelsea terms of Ramirez than, you know, the kind of Makaleli we knew at uh, Chelsea. Uh, went on to Marseille, had a season there, but it was really when he went to Celta Vigo, uh, his first experience of La Liga, where 
he became renowned as a central midfielder. And there he was playing alongside uh, Mazinho, the uh, Brazilian World Cup winner who had been playing alongside Dunga for the last you know, half decade at international level. And, and uh, McAleary really credits Mazinho with his reinvention. He says that Mazinho was you know, like a coach beside him on the pitch, always instructing him positionally. And it's his, his uh, performances for Celta Vigo um, that attract Real Madrid. And Real had sold Fernando Redondo that summer. Redondo was probably the most adept defensive midfielder in the world, certainly in a, a positive sense with the ball. So it was uh, you know, a big responsibility to fill his boots. And he played the role in a different way. Uh, was never quite as expressive as Redondo. Never backheeled the ball through anyone's legs at all. No, traffic. certainly not. You, you'd be disgusted if you saw <laughs> Makaleli doing that. But um, obviously became, you know, a very revered player amongst players. I think it's fair to say. You know, this was a time where maybe supporters, maybe even journalists, were not really talking about the the benefits of a defensive midfielder. But you look at what Zidane and Beckham and Figo and Raúl said about him, and he was, you know, clearly the most popular and probably the most important player in Real's system. My abiding impressions of that Real Madrid team are, are almost that they were two teams, <laughs> that they had an attack and a defence. And, and and often you would see Makaleli with a vast expanse of green around him as the other team were trying to counter-attack and somehow he would still end up snuffing things out. And that, you know, absolute testament to his to his positional qualities. But even then, he wasn't necessarily a player that you would you would notice that many times in, in 90 minutes particularly on a pitch where you have Zidane, Figo, Ronaldo, all of these incredible names. and But he certainly had the respect of his teammates for the role that he played, for the balance that he gave to those teams. And I I remember hearing some quotes from, from Steve McManaman on Makaleli uh, during his time at Real Madrid, actually on the, the Graham Hunter podcast. And he was saying he's, he's not quick over 20, 30 yards. Of course, you'd beat him in a race, but he got in the way of the ball all the time. <laughs> And uh, and and he was saying that, you know, we know the famous quote about from Zinedine Zidane after he'd left about why put another coat of paint on the Bentley when you've just removed the engine uh, when Makaleli was sold and David Beckham was brought in, and that was very much the prevailing feeling in the Real Madrid dressing room. They all respected Makaleli's contribution and, and they all felt that it was the beginning of the end when he was sold that the the, the balance had had gone. And uh, and so it proved because they they never won the Champions League again in that cycle, did they? It was here that that Makélélé called himself the first defender and the first attacking midfielder. Michael he he certainly doesn't lack confidence in his abilities, and it's probably fair that he speaks up for himself at a time where, as Liam's alluded to, there were so many Galacticos who were maybe taking the headlines, but. He he thought of himself as the first attacking midfielder, which I think is an interesting thing to hear, given what we now think of as the Makélélé role. Yeah, I mean, he was he almost became like a kind of spokesman for his position. I mean, he was compared a lot in France to to Didier Deschamps, who was famously called the the water carrier. Of course, another former Chelsea defensive midfielder himself. Makélélé was saying, well, in, in many ways, the water carrier is the new number ten. We're the guys who are dictating the tempo and bossing the play, and. He he really believed in that role. It wasn't always his role, as we've said, but um, he he thinks he brought something different to it in a in a kind of positive sense. And I think it's interesting that when he was asked who his favourite teammate was at Real Madrid, he didn't say Zidane or Figo or Raúl. He said Ivan Helguera, who was, I mean, for those who don't remember, I guess a kind of Rodri figure we could compare him to a kind of def- a defensive midfielder who could play at the back. 
Um, maybe the opposite, actually. Maybe a defender who could play in defensive midfield. But he liked playing alongside Helguero because it meant that he had a little bit more freedom to, to push forward and attack. So he was... Um, yeah, like you say, a very confident player on the pitch and, and off the pitch when discussing what he did on the pitch. And when you go back and look at um, footage of Makaleli, I mean, first of all, he's not a very highlights-friendly player on YouTube, but when you do the, the, the few clips that you can find, he is actually surprisingly skillful in tight spaces. He was very, very good at evading pressure, uh, maybe more than he was given credit for at the time. And there were a lot of goals. I mean, I'm thinking more about his Chelsea spell at this point, but I'm sure it was the case at Real Madrid as well, which would start with him playing the first pass forwards. And that was another great um, attribute that he had, that he had the ability to recognise when there was an opportunity, not just to win the ball, but to immediately turn defence into attack with a with a ball over the top or, or just a really unglamorous but intelligent five to ten yard pass forward into the right man at the right time probably not remembered as someone who dictated the tempo of matches but from what you've said there and in his own words he considered himself the one that sets the tempo and gives confidence uh, to his teammates and Liam just before he signed for Chelsea things had gone fairly sour at Real Madrid he'd actually refused to take part in training uh, as the BBC reported upon signing in protest at being one of the lowest paid players at the club is it cynical of me to suggest that the situation at Chelsea was attractive for Makelele, uh, not just in footballing terms. Yeah, I think that that's fair to say. I think he felt underappreciated at Madrid. I'm, I'm sure it probably wasn't much about the money to him as much as the the feeling of respect. You know, I think that's that's why a lot of footballers angle for more money in football, not because they need it, but because it's it's a mark of your standing in the dressing room. And in that Real Madrid dressing room, if you're earning a fifth of what Zinedine Zidane makes and yet you're integral to the balance of the team you're going to feel a certain way about that the interesting thing I find about that whole episode is that he still had three years left on his contract so he didn't have much in the way of leverage beyond going on strike for a week to force that move but he got it done and, and it proved to be a hugely significant moment for both clubs the interesting thing is obviously Real were complete shambles without him and very obviously missed him but the season before he left, they usually played him and Helguera together. So they did have two defensive midfielders. They basically went from playing two to playing none <laughs> because they were playing, you know, playing Beckham in central midfield. Sometimes Guti was there, a talented player against weaker opposition, but he's not going to win you the ball. Obviously, then Thomas Gravison came in, which was a very strange move. So uh, obviously, they were worse player without him, but it was exaggerated by the fact that they, they didn't sign anyone really who could do that job as, as well as Makaleli could. And Liam, how did he get on in his first season in West London, Claudio Ranieri's final season in charge of Chelsea? Yeah, so I don't think his his role was quite as defined under Ranieri as it would later become under Mourinho. Chelsea were, certainly weren't playing 4-3-3 every single week. It was, it was much more still 4-4-2 with him as one of the two. And But he did make an impact because if you look back at the stats, I think that's one of... I think that's Lampard's first real serious goal-scoring season. I mean, you, you look back at the story of Lampard's career and obviously the narrative is that Mourinho came in and transformed him. In reality, that process started under Ranieri. And if you ask Lampard, he'll tell you that as well. And I think the presence of um, Makaleli, I think his, his probably his biggest achievement in that first season was maybe freeing up Lampard to, to run forward more, to start making those late arrivals in the box and, and become the player that he later became. Michael, your book, Zonal Marking, 
tracks the tactical trends of the Premier League era. What were the tactical norms at the time, 2003, when Makelele joined the Premier League, specifically, you know, the, the, the makeup of your midfields? Yeah, I guess there's two ways to approach this. One is in terms of the individuals and the second is in terms of formations. In terms of individuals, the standout uh, defensive midfielders, if you like, were Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira. And having players who, you know, sat a little bit deeper and won the ball was was nothing new. But when you look at what they say about Makaleli, I mean, Keane at this point is falling out with Ferguson and, and Ferguson wants him to change his role and be a bit more like Makaleli. And Keane is you know, pretty frank and saying, I can never be that player. I want to get more involved. And the same for Vieira. I mean, people remember Vieira as a defensive midfielder and he, he was broadly, but he was also very useful at making attacking runs, you know, in, in behind the forwards to score goals. And Vieira, you know, himself was was saying about Gilberto Silva, he's our kind of Makaleli figure. So this was a slightly different breed of defensive midfielder we hadn't really seen so much before. And in terms of formations, I mean, uh, yeah, it was broadly 4-4-2. Manchester United were changing a little bit to play with one up front with not much success but when Marino comes in and plays 4-3-3 there is um, you know a, a different configuration and um, I think the formation was almost difficult to uh, separate from Makaleli in terms of his impact It was the age of the midfield general in the Premier League wasn't it with, with, with Keane and Vieira as the two dominant forces Gerrard very much modelling his game as a young player watching those two I think a lot of people wanted to try and lump Lampard into that same category as well although he became more of a, um, a specialist goal scorer as his career went on but it, that, that was the landscape of the league and I think Makaleli kind of heralded the arrival of the specialist in a, in a lot of ways and I just, sorry, I've just got a good quote to read out. I'm not. Michael has pulled out his own I'm not, book I'm not, here. I'm now, not, that is a I'm power not, move. If I'm I'm I've not, ever I'm seen one, I'm not one. quoting myself. I should say I'm quoting. This is delightfully on brand. Quoted. So just on the on the formation and the changes, Mourinho's explaining, um, you know, the impact Makaleli says, and he's quite frank about how important he, he was. He said, "Look, if I have a triangle midfield, Makaleli behind two others just in front, I always have an advantage against a pure four-four-two when the central midfielders are side by side. That's because I will always have an extra man. It starts with Makaleli, who is between the lines. If no one comes to him, he can see the whole pitch and has time. If he gets closed down, it means one of the other two central midfielders is open. If they're closed down and the other team's wingers come inside to help, it means there is space now for us on the flank, either for our wingers or for our fullbacks." Uh, there's nothing a pure 4-4-2 can do to stop things. And that kind of sums up the fact that Mourinho was changing the game with the formation at the same time that McAlady was changing, you know, the way we saw defensive midfielders. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. If you go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, they'll ask you to fill in a style quiz. Great fun and very valuable. You tell them about your personal style, your budget, size and shape, and a personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, handpicked especially for you from a selection of 100 brands, including established names, up-and-coming designers, and exclusive brands that you won't find anywhere else. You try everything on at home, 
have a look at how they fit with other items in your wardrobe and then you only pay for what you love and what you want to keep and send back the rest. Delivery and returns are free both ways. You do pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Stitch Fix essentially allows you to save time because they do the shopping for you, discover new styles because the stylist finds great items that you might have never picked out when shopping for yourself, and enjoy top styling tips as well. Dress better with Stitch Fix and get started today supporting the Athletics Zonal Marking Podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. And I'm going to spell that for you. S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co.uk forward slash athletic. It's this 2004 to 2006 era that really defines the Makalele role and as Michael's alluded to it's no coincidence that Jose Mourinho's arrival in English football and the subsequent impact that he had uh, is very much running concurrently with that. Liam a very happy union between uh, a manager and a player Mourinho and Makalele. Yeah definitely I think Mourinho was maybe less uh, pragmatic than he became as his career went on but he still certainly had that feeling that all great teams need balance and that was the thing that that Makaleli was the master of providing and uh, I think uh, as I said earlier we you know we talk about the amount of goals that you look back on that Chelsea scored in those two seasons that begin with a Makaleli pass forward or a Makaleli ball recovery and and beginning to to launch an attack when the opposition is not necessarily set and my mind actually goes back to one of the most iconic goals that Lampard scored under Mourinho and and kind of one of the roles one of the goals that announced Lampard's arrival as an elite midfielder was against Bayern Munich where he chests the ball down and and swivels and volleys it's Makaleli who plays that clipped pass over the top as the ball comes out to buy from the Bayern Munich defense and they're trying to recover there were so many moments like that where he was very much progressive on the ball but at the same time having this incredible impact defensively I mean that Chelsea team concedes 15 goals that season they're just absolutely impregnable and while everyone talks about you know Petr Cech's clean sheet record and the partnership between John Terry and Ricardo Carvalho I think if you ask any of those players they would all cite Makaleli's influence in front. He was quite small in stature Michael was there a, a suggestion or, or do you think there was an, an underlying feeling around English football at the time that your, your midfield general, uh, as Liam described it, would need to be up for a physical battle, second balls, all, all that sort of thing? Makalele was starting to redefine parts of the midfield role. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, you look at uh, even Arsene Wenger, who obviously was a huge admirer of technical quality, was partnering Vieira with first Petit and then Gilberto. These were... You know, six foot plus guys, very physical, certainly up for a fight. Makaleli, I think, was was very feisty. I think he was also, maybe not remember, but he he was also very good at almost winning free kicks. I wouldn't say diving, but he was quite. Um, he, he, you could tell almost that he considered himself a bit of a flair player because he was. Uh, yeah, he didn't mind buying fouls in an almost Jack Grealish way. I would say, but that's a quality that you can say of, of Pirlo, of Busquets, of a lot of the great defensive midfielders of the last 15, 20 years. But uh, yeah, he was physical when he wanted to be. And surprisingly strong for his size when he decided to be physical. And, and in particular, I think very, very skilled at using his body to shield the ball. A player would just be dribbling and suddenly he'd find Makaleli's back in front of him. 
and he wouldn't be able to do anything and Makaleli would just dribble off very slowly with the ball and, and play a pass. That was a, a recurring pattern in those, particularly in those two Chelsea years. I'm finding this quite interesting in the sense that his his defensive capabilities are memorialised to the extent that I think everyone listening who's heard of the Makaleli role understands that that is its central tenet. But Michael, it feels like there's we're almost missing a little bit here, or the general misconception about the Makaleli role is is missing that the man himself had a, a technical quality and a, I suppose a, a a vision that's perhaps not really covered in in the general understanding of the Makaleli role. Yeah, and he makes this point quite vociferously. I don't think he likes being remembered as just a player to do a job there. You know, he says, because I was a former winger, I knew how to make attackers feel comfortable with the way I passed them the ball. Um, and later he was saying, he was asked about, uh, you know, how he'd helped to revolutionise the defensive midfield role. And he said, well, I'm uh, I'm probably better technically than Luis Fernandez and Frank Solze and Didier Deschamps, but I haven't done anything radically different. I'm just a more complete footballer. So whenever he was asked about, you know, the Makaleli role, he really made a point of saying, yeah, a lot of that comes from the fact that I used to be... Um, you know, I used to be an attacker myself. And he also makes the point that because in training he was up against Zidane and Figo and Raul, um, you learn how to tackle. You, le- you learn how to dispossess players who are, you know, better technically than probably anyone you'd find in the Premier League at that point. So by the time he came over here, he probably found it relatively simple compared to those Real Madrid training sessions. I think he was a tactically and technically complete midfielder in terms of the, the fundamentals of the position. He, he he wasn't physically the most imposing, obviously not the fastest, but in all that in all other aspects he didn't have a demonstrable weak, weakness and that's what made him so valuable to winning. The fact that he had those qualities but at the same time obviously he believes in himself and you see that when you hear him speak, but he doesn't have the ego to to want to be seen in all parts of the game and he's actually described this as like the worst position in football you have to love playing this role and you have to love subverting you know your individual desires for the team winning and I think that that really is the abiding legacy of Makaleli that in building this role that was named after him he really subjugated himself to the needs of the team and, and became one of I think the most valuable winning players of his generation. And I think the funny thing is we did have a lot of names for that role already. We had defence midfielder, holding midfielder, anchor man. You know, it wasn't like there was no term at all, but he was just so definitive in that position that, yeah, within, quite quickly, I mean, within a year, I think, really, people were saying, yeah, that's the Macaulay. So you're saying he was a branding genius as well. Yeah, exactly. Good PR. And Michael, was there much of a copycat vibe that there's often in football uh, a successful player normally a successful manager in terms of tactics and other teams tend to to follow suit to try and match the trend did we see that happen in terms of well obviously Mourinho style but when it comes to Makalele as well and his role yeah I think completely I think there was a, a real emphasis on trying to develop that kind of player and I think it actually compromised a lot of players careers um, I think the obvious one is was at Chelsea was John Obi Mikel who I think did a decent job for Chelsea in that holding role for many years. But when you speak to, you know, I know a couple of Nigerian football journalists who talk about Mikel when he was young and he was this brilliant, dribbling, attacking number 10 who would take the game to the opposition. And really, he kind of lost all that flair because he was turned into a defensive midfielder. And I think you can say the same thing for 
Lucas Leiva, who came to Liverpool as an attacking midfielder and number 10, a goal-scoring midfielder. Again, just became quite a standard defensive midfielder. To a certain extent, Danielson uh, at Arsenal and to a certain extent, Anderson at Manchester United. But I think there was a kind of a movement to try and make a play like that. And it's interesting when we go back to what I, I quoted from Mourinho about how it was all about the system outmanoeuvring the other, you know, the 4-4-2. By this point, almost every team was playing 4-3-3 or 4-4-2. So you had these players who were doing the same things as Makaleli, but it wasn't out manoeuvring the opposition system because it was the same system. So a few of those players I feel sorry for. I mean, particularly Mikel. had a great career with Chelsea. I mean, won the league and won the Champions League and all the rest of it. But, you know, when you look at reports of, a, is it the World Under-20 Championships where he comes second, he wins the silver ball behind Leo Messi. And these are, you know, the two greats of the next generation. And obviously Leo Messi is the great of the generation and Mikel is kind of this uh, considered this kind of functional player who who never really had license to express himself well if Mikel had come along about 10 years earlier you know it, into the Premier League about 10 years before he did he could have been he had the technical skill set and the physical profile to be a Roy Keane Patrick Vieira type of player maybe not that good but certainly that profile of midfielder but he was clearly you know shoehorned into being a different thing and that was even more painfully highlighted whenever you watched Nigeria throughout his career and they still tried to play him as a number 10 even though he'd clearly adapted his game and gone away from that and uh, I think uh, you actually look at the Nigerian national team for about seven or eight years they really struggled for creativity because they still insisted on Mikel being their most creative midfielder. Liam how did his Chelsea career continue because I feel like we focus a lot on the first three years here but he stayed until 2008. Uh, Talk to me about 06 to 08 that as he sort of winds down yeah I think he was he, he was much more of a squad player at that time I mean he, he does talk about as much as Makaleli was super intelligent in terms of positioning and, and all of his technical and tactical qualities he'll say you have to run a lot in that position and his legs did go as he went into his 30s and, and, and he was able to maybe produce four or five of those performances a season rather than you know 15 or 20 and uh, and and Chelsea had to try and move away from him and for a time they found it quite difficult because as you say they tried to shoehorn Mikel into being his successor that didn't really work at least not on a consistent basis they also bought Lasana Diara uh, to try and be the new Makaleli and uh, that didn't quite work either there were a few personality issues there as well as what he was like as a player so um, there was a, a kind of painful transition into the next type of team that Chelsea had to be and I think they had to change things tactically to to compensate for the fact that McAuley was no longer quite what he had been. And then he plays three further seasons at uh, Paris Saint-Germain from when he's 35 to his eventual retirement at 38. Michael, his relationship with the French national team is is really interesting because we're talking about a player who came to define a position one of the best of all time in that position. We're talking about a national team that during the years in which he was active, won a World Cup, won the Euros, and yet Makulele's relationship with the French national team just never quite worked, did it? It never quite clicked. Yeah, he's quite bitter at not being a part of the 98 and 2000 sides. I think particularly the second one, he's annoyed because he thinks he was playing really well for Celta Vigo at that time, but obviously not the most glamorous prominent club so it's probably harder to get recognition at Celta Vigo than it would be at Real Madrid or Chelsea 
He does come into the side a little bit in 2002, a little bit 2004, but really 2006 is where he's playing alongside Vieira in a double pivot. Obviously, they got to the World Cup final and lost very narrowly on uh, on penalties to Italy. So yeah, he's quite bitter about that, his lack of international appearances and also his lack of international honours because he didn't win anything for France, won pretty much everything he could at club level, but even missed out on the Confederations Cup uh, successes with France. So no medals to show there. He is quite bitter about it. There's great swathes of his book in which he expands on this bitterness my favorite of his real gripes was that in 1998 he was playing for Marseille and he was playing right midfield as you touched on earlier uh, a sort of shuttler up and down uh, the right side and then Roland Corby the manager decided to play 3-5-2 and asked Makaleli to play right wing back but he can't get his head around what he needs to do in that position. And it's quite striking. We're talking about a guy who had clearly great intelligence to play a very demanding role uh, in defensive midfield, but couldn't quite work out at right wing back. There's a quote where he says, I didn't know if I was a midfielder or a defender. <laughs> so it's interesting to look back at that and, and his development uh, as a as a player. Yeah, so just on that point, I think that probably speaks to where Makaleli was on his footballing journey at that time. You know, we've we've said that he went to Celta and that really changed him as a player, particularly working with Mazzino. And I, I remember seeing a quote where he said he taught me how to move and what to do and gave me great tactical knowledge about managing the game and, and moving at speed. There are many different ways to play. You have to like working for the team more than yourself. So I think he, the role of Mazzino in, in the development of the Makaleli that we knew uh, it probably plays a big part in that, and maybe, maybe if they tried to deploy him at right wing back later in his career, he might have had a, a slightly better time of it, at least until his legs went. So Mazzino can take credit for three professional footballers: his sons <laughs> Tiago uh, and Rafael Alcantara, and for helping Claude Makélélé to to really understand the Makélélé uh, role, uh, Michael. These days, and you've written about this for the Athletic this season. The top clubs are almost exclusively playing with a single pivot. Let's move away from the Makaleli role and one at the base of midfield. But they're not all playing the Makaleli role, are they? These days, it's much more diverse as to what you expect from your single pivot. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I think there's a, a lot of variety of styles. I'd say probably the most complete this season has been Fabinho at Liverpool, who I think is just excellent with and without the ball. I think his clashes with some of the other defensive midfielders, he's usually come out on top. Um, Fernandinho has played a little bit more at centre-back in recent weeks, and I think City really miss his intelligence in possession. Um, Jorginho, you know, at Chelsea, uh, is a very much-discussed topic. I mean, Chelsea, I guess, play the kind of they get their Makaleli qualities in a hybrid of ways. I think Jorginho plays it with the ball and, and Kante obviously is, is the ball winner and the energetic one. I guess the interesting one really now at Arsenal is um, since Arteta came in and, and Torreira is playing in that position because he was a player that, uh, that Unai Emery didn't fancy as the holding midfielder. But I think he's got the qualities, again, with and without the ball, excellent in possession. And I think a little bit like Makaleli, he's not the most physical, he's not the biggest guy, but he's he's got the feistiness that you need and also the positional qualities. So, yeah, it's I think it's the position really that almost defines a side, you know, as much as anyone else. If you look at it on the formation in a 4-3-3, you've got five players behind you, five players ahead of you, and you've got to join that. And, you know, as Makaleli said, he's the first first defender in the first attacking midfielder. So there's a lot of responsibility on that position. Liam, Claude Makaleli is now 
46 years old and he's at Chelsea. What is the current Makalele role at the club? He, he It's defined as youth player mentor. So he's he, he's kind of got a... Uh, a floating role, shall we say, <laughs> in in contrast to his position on the pitch. Sounds as, as loose a job description as some of the Athletics' main writers, I must say. <laughs> so essentially, he is working with young players in the academy across the age groups, but also working with some of the younger players that are out on loan. I know he's one of the one of the people that will check in with them on WhatsApp and occasionally go to to see them. And um, I think it, it's more just imparting the wisdom that he that he has personally from his own career but also the the wider football intelligence that he has and i think he's someone that you want trying to set a football culture other than maybe advising players to go on strike to force moves <laughs> um but in, in terms of just how best to win on the pitch i think there are a few better players to to learn from because regardless of what position a young player is is trying to mold themselves into uh, the idea that you play for the team and not yourself and, and you interpret the game co- with a view to the collective as opposed to, you know, how can I get noticed, I think is a is a, is a really healthy cultural thing to have. And Chelsea have made a big play more broadly in terms of getting some of the big name figures from the Abramovich era and before that involved in the academy and the development structure of the club. I think Makaleli's a really strong addition to all of that. And Michael, finally, how much do you think the general understanding of the Makalele role sums up what Claude Makalele's role was and what his strengths were. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit of a misconception. I think people think of him just a tackler, just someone who sat in front of the defence and broke up play and left it to the others. But I really think he had a, a really important role in making the play. You look at those Chelsea sides, particularly when there's Etienne and Lampard there, they didn't really have a number 10 or someone who was you know, primarily there to create chances. And I think a lot of that responsibility was Makalele's, not necessarily the assists and the passes in behind the defence, but the good first pass, as Lim says, into the wingers, sometimes into the forwards, sometimes for the midfielders running in behind. He was a really talented player in possession. And I think, uh, yeah, certainly a bit of a trendsetter for the defensive midfielders who came after him. Well, thank you to both Michael Cox and to Liam Toomey for lending us their expertise for all things Claude Makélélé and his role. Uh, thank you to producer Teo as well for making us sound so clear and, and, and so uh, knowledgeable as well. Uh, if you don't already subscribe to The Athletic, but you listen to this podcast and you enjoy the content, well, there's reams of it on the site, on the app. The Athletic's the place to be for all the best football writing that the internet has to offer and all the best writers as well. If you'd like to give it a go, theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking is the place to go for 40% off a year's subscription. That's theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. We'll be back next week with another look at something tactical, something trendy across the world of football on the Zonal Marking podcast brought to you by The Athletic.